We've been studying the uh, story of our great redemption, the innocent for the guilty. Please go back and study all the previous ones. I've really covered a lot of ground. I don't have time to go back, and I don't even have time to recap it all because it would just be a repetition <clears throat> again and again. And we've really uh, uh, dealt with many scriptures. And our foundational scripture, Acts 2.27, again, Paul quoting it, excuse me, Peter quoting uh, the, the book of Psalms, uh, chapter 16, uh, uh, during the day of Pentecost, preaching that won so many to the Lord. And he said, because you'll not leave my soul in Hades or hell, and you'll not give your Holy One to see corruption, talking about the sacrifice of Jesus. And I told you that that word hell is the Greek word Hades, and it's the same Greek word used for the hell of flames and torments that the wicked rich man was taken to in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 24. Jesus went to hell in our place because he suffered for us what we would have had to suffer. And we saw Jesus suffering in Hades for us in Psalms 88, Psalms 18, and also from the magnificent Jonah chapter 2. And suddenly, though, we saw that to all of hell's utter surprise and confusion, God breathes life by his Spirit into the Spirit of Jesus right in the middle of hell. And that's 1 Peter 3.18. He was made alive in the Spirit. And God breathed life back into the Spirit of Jesus when he raised him from the dead. And he was justified, it says in 1 Timothy 3.16, in the Spirit. Well, you can't be given spiritual life and you can't be made righteous if you first weren't spiritually dead and in the state of unrighteousness. Well, Jesus wasn't spiritually dead or unrighteous with his own sin or unrighteousness. He was spiritually dead and uh, uh, in an unrighteous state with our unrighteousness and our uh, uh, death and our spiritual death. He was our substitute. Thank God. And as we stated from the scripture, Psalms 22, 88 and Jonah 2, Jesus went into hell speaking and confessing the word of God. And he said in hell as a final powerful declaration before God, Yeshua is of Jehovah. And God responded to him from heaven with, You are my son. Today I've begotten you. And uh, again, I'll remind you that Paul makes it extremely clear. Uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, that it was referring to Jesus only when he was raised from the dead. And again, Acts chapter 13, verse 33 and 34. I'm going to read it. Acts 13, 33 and 34. This God has fulfilled to us their children, raising up Jesus, as it is also written in the second Psalm. You are my son, this day have I begotten you, and that he raised him up from the dead. Now notice, both before his quotation of Psalms 2 and after, he makes it extremely plain that this is a reference only to when Jesus was raised up out of the realm of the dead. So this reveals that Jesus being begotten was what happened when God raised him up from the dead. Amen. So it's referring to the resurrection of Jesus. Now, let me just tell you, the word resurrection does not mean only the physical resurrection, but it's also talking about him being raised up out of hell. And later I'll, I, I 
well, I, I'll go ahead and show it to you now before I continue. Uh, uh, you know, <laughs> it's amazing to me that sometimes we read scriptures and we don't, we don't, we don't see what it says. Acts, the same, the same scripture we've been using, Acts 2.27. Go back there and notice what it says in Acts 2.27. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Well, keep reading in Acts 2 and go down to verse 31. Where Peter quotes this again. Now watch what he says. Acts 2.31. He foreseeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ. Did you see that? He spoke concerning the resurrection. What's he talking about? What's, what's this he foreseeing this? Who's the he? Well, go back and you'll see the patriarch David being a prophet and knowing uh, uh, that God had sworn an oath to him and so on and so forth, that he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. Verse 31, he foreseeing this, the prophet David, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ. Now, here it is. Speaking of the resurrection of the Christ, notice that he quotes the same verse we've been quoting over and over again, Acts 2.27. He spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, number one, that his soul would not be left in Hades, and number two, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up. Now, that's verse 32. So you see, the resurrection of Jesus is twofold. Always has been, always will be. But you never hear about one part of it, which is Jesus being raised up out of Hades, the suffering and torment of Hades. You only hear about him being raised up physically because that's what most people are bound to. They're bound to the physical realm, and that's all they see. They don't realize that Jesus, yes, he was raised up physically from the tomb with an immortal resurrected body, but he was also resurrected and raised up out of hell. Thank God. And you need to understand that when he uses this word resurrection, it's not just talking about being raised physically, but it's also, most of the time, it's talking about both. Amen. Now again. When Paul quotes Acts 13, 33 and 34, and he talks about, you are my son, this day have I begotten you. This is not talking about when he was born from Mary or when he was physically born, because that's when he took upon himself flesh. But it's talking about when he was begotten of God from the dead, as Paul preached. So that means he was born again from the dead. That's what the word begotten means. He was birth of God from the dead. Well, just like Jonah, Jesus said, Yeshua is of Jehovah. And when he did, I'm telling you folks, the earth trembled and shook. Uh, and, and the voice of the Lord thundered through all realms of heaven and earth and Hades. And God said, you are my son. Today, I have begotten you. Hallelujah. Now, Hebrews chapter 1 fits perfectly with Paul's teaching in Acts 13 
and the fact that Jesus being begotten of the Father referred only to his resurrection from the dead. Now again, note the fact that Peter preached that the resurrection of Jesus was twofold. First, the resurrection was spiritual, that his soul was not left in Hades, and secondly, it was physical, nor did his flesh see corruption. The one suffering death in hell was begotten or given a birth, a new birth, right in the midst of hell. This had to happen first before Jesus could be physically raised up from the dead to immortality. I know I'm repeating myself, and I'm really harping on this, but this is new territory for many of you, and I want to be real sure you get it. Now let's go to the book of Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. Who, talking about Jesus, being the shining splendor of his glory and the express image of his essence, and upholding all things by the word of his power, having made purification of our sins through himself. Now notice it doesn't say, having made purification of our sins through his body. Of course, he did it through his body. But notice it says, through himself. Why? Because the sacrifice was the entire being of Jesus. Spirit, soul, body, blood, and all. Jesus made purification of our sins through the sacrifice of all of himself. Spirit, soul, body, blood, and all. And this is an important point because a lot of people have wrongly thought that Jesus' sacrifice was only physical. If the benefits of his sacrifice are spirit, soul, and body in all areas of human existence, then the sacrifice had to be in all those realms so that provision could be made for us in every realm. It's really that simple. It was a great exchange. He took my sin in his spirit so I could have eternal life and be healthy. Glory to God in my spirit. Actually, be made the righteousness of God is what I meant. He took my sickness and disease in his body. Now, so I could be healed and be healthy. He took my poverty and shame so I could have life and that more abundantly. Until one sees Jesus die in their place, you can never really live. The opposite of that is that if you will see that Jesus bore all that junk for you, then thank God you can go free. Let's keep reading. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4. Having become so much better than the angels, he has inherited a name more excellent than they. Woo. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Now, notice, he inherited a name more excellent than they. Well, how did he do that? How did he, how did he inherit? I thought the angel told Mary to name him Jesus. Yeah, but that's not talking about this inheritance here. This inheritance here is the defeat of hell and death and all the provisions of his sacrifice. Notice that this is what it's talking about, the purification of our sins through himself. And he sat down on the right majesty on high. This inheritance of the name is when he defeated hell by expressing his name when he said Yeshua to Jehovah, as it says in Hebrew. Amen. And notice what it's talking about. 
For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I've begotten you. Now remember that Paul said in Acts 13, verse 33 and 34, that you are my son, this day I've begotten you, refers to when Jesus was raised from the dead, from both hell or Hades and physically when his body was raised to immortality. But specifically, it's talking about this birthing of Jesus from the dead. Birthing, given life again, as we've seen in other scriptures. Amen. 1 Peter 3.18 Being justified in the Spirit. Uh, 1 Timothy 3.16 That's when he was birthed. Right in the middle of hell. Now we've emphasized this over and over again. And I know it's almost incomprehensible. Because here it says, And again I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. Mm. Jesus in hell was separated from God completely for three days and nights as he suffered with our sins and transgressions and the curse in the bowels of the earth. His separation from God was complete and absolute for three days and three nights. He was made to be sin. God abandoned his son for us on the cross and in hell. You don't think God stood by him the whole time and God was in his spirit and soul? No, he was separated and a sin and death infused and full as everybody, actually worse than anybody in hell or anybody on earth because Jesus bore it all in his spirit, soul, and body for us. Amen. He became the curse. He absorbed the very nature of death and Satan into himself for us. He became sin for us. Now, all of that, we've studied it. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, He who knew no sin became sin for us, was made to be sin. Galatians 3.13, uh, uh, he became the curse for us. Uh, John 3.14, he became the serpent on the pole. Hebrews 2.14, he suffered death and hell for us. And this was so until God was satisfied and the price was paid in full by the sacrifice of the soul and spirit of the being of his son in hell. Now, even though he was his son, but he was separated from his sonship from God for those three days and three nights. Now, why is that? Well, because Adam was separated from God completely, totally, even though God still talked to him. Uh, but uh, the separation that Jesus suffered was was not just what Adam suffered, but what all humanity suffers and what everybody was supposed to suffer in hell. Now, that's what Jesus suffered for us. Now, God speaks his word into hell, and all hell trembles and shakes as the Son of God is reborn in Hades, and God brings him out. Now, we saw that clearly in Psalms 18, verses 4 through 24. Go back and read it. 
Okay, let's continue reading here. Hebrews 1, 6. And again, when he brought the firstborn, you see that? Into the world, he said, and let all the angels of God worship him. The first firstborn was Adam. When God breathed the spirit of life into his lifeless body, and he became a living soul or being. Well, that first Adam lost all of that connection to God. We saw that. We studied it. Now the second Adam, the last Adam, gets the Spirit of God breathed into his death-ridden spirit and soul in Hades, and he is justified. Well, Romans chapter eleven, uh, uh, chapter 8, verse 11, says that uh, the Spirit of God raised up Jesus from the dead. Thank God. Amen. Jesus had a new birth right in the middle of hell by the word of the Father and by the Spirit of God. Remember how Jesus told Nicodemus that one must be born again to enter into the kingdom of God? Well, Jesus also revealed that it takes the Spirit of God and the water for that to happen. Well, the water's referring to the Word of God, and Paul used it that way in Ephesians 5.26 when he says the washing of the water by the Word. It takes the Word, and it takes the Spirit of God for regeneration or for life and light to come forth in the new birth, just like it did at the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. The word of God spoken from heaven by the Father raised up Jesus from the deaths he suffered on our behalf, both spiritually and physically. And I'm telling you, in, in this first chapter of Hebrews, we have clear evidence of what the, the Father spoke from heaven when he raised his son from hell. It also reveals what God said when... Jesus was physically raised up to immortality, never to see corruption. Now, why is that? Well, <laughs> in doing this, after this, Jesus was raised up to immortality, physically. Okay, let's go on and read. Verse 7. As to the angels, he said, Who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? But as to the Son, he says, Oh my. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Because of this, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness besides your fellows. And you, Lord, at the beginning founded the earth and the heavens are the work, works of your hands. They will banish away, but you will continue. They will all become old like a garment, and you shall fold them up like a covering, and they shall be changed. But you are the same. You remember? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And your years shall not fail. But to which of the angels did he ever say, Sit at my right hand until I place your enemies as a footstool of your feet? Mm. God the Father, as he raises his son from Hades, inaugurates him into the highest office of all spiritual and physical realms by calling him God. Did you get that? To the Son. The Father said, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Ooh, 
hallelujah, from the lowest hell, God raises his son to sit on God's own throne as God. Talk about an exaltation beyond your wildest dreams and expectation. I mean, this is a shock wave through hell that hell has never been able to recover from. The forgotten and shamed one. The one that was separated from his father and was left for dead in the lowest hell now gets raised up to the highest heaven. And in the process, thank God, he defeats all of hell single-handedly and makes a mockery of all of Hades and it's all its supposed grandeur and power. He strips them, Colossians 2.15 says. He was making his enemies his footstool. Mm. Now you got to look closely at how the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews blends masterfully many references from Psalms. I mean, Psalms 45, he quotes, Psalms 103, Psalms 102, huh? All of these references that he quotes, uh, Psalms 2, and, 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 and if you go through the book of Hebrews, he just quotes the book of Psalms uh, over and over again. Now, why is this? Why is this important that I bring this out to you? Well, uh, uh, they, they all apply to the Messiah. Did you see that? That It's not a foreign com concept for us to use the Psalms and the prophets in the way that we've used them to teach about Jesus' sufferings in hell. Now, Paul did it, Peter did it, and Jesus did it. So it gives me the right to do it as well. Now, I thought I'd say that for those of you that may object to how I've used the Psalms to establish this subject from the Word of God, spoken through David and through the prophet Jonah. But it's a classic example, the book of Hebrews, of how much the Psalms and the prophets were considered messianic in a lot of places. Uh, there are many other scriptures that pointed to Christ in types and shadows concerning his uh, life, his deaths, his sufferings, his resurrection, and exaltation. Jesus fulfilled scriptures in a lot of ways. It was all leading to him. And we all know this, and we need to acknowledge this truth. Because we are taught to consider the scriptures in this manner in the New Testament. Amen. We'll continue on our next study.